Well, praise the Lord, everybody. And I am from Canada, but with the help of the Lord, I'm going to learn to talk like y'all. My daughter married a young man from Arkansas. He's a minister down there and an engineer. And I told him one time, I said, Chad, I don't care what kind of an engineer or a minister you are, you're still a redneck. <laughs> and uh, so he married my daughter and my grandchildren don't even understand Canadian English. And so we're just delighted that uh, they're serving the Lord. And uh, it's great to be a part of Missouri. My wife and I, we maintain a, a, a residence here and do most of our travel in the, the region of Asia. Interesting thing is, and my wife's here, uh, Sister Sham was raised in Canada. And she was raised on the East Coast and probably dipped down into the United States, maybe the state of Maine and New Hampshire, Vermont, one, one or two times in her whole life until she married me. For me, I was born in Canada, but that was only because mom and dad were home on furlough. They were missionaries in India with the schisms. And so my whole life, I grew up in a different culture. I speak Hindi, Urdu, a little bit of Tamil, studying the Thai language right now, and of course I'm still working on English. But it's, it's amazing how that God brought the two of us together. And when we flew into Sri Lanka, the first place that we became appointed missionaries to, my wife looked down and she looked back at me and she said, Lyndon, as I look down at Sri Lanka, it's coming up close. The, the runway was coming up to us. And she could look out over those coconut trees and, and see it. And she said, I feel like I've come home. And I think that this is something that we want to talk a little bit about tonight. And that is the fact that if you are doing what God wants you to do, if you're not trying to be what somebody else is, if you're not trying to live somebody else's life, but you have found the place that God wants you to be, it is amazing. You will always feel like you are right at home. Tonight, when I get with the people of God, I feel right at home. There is a presence of God in this church. I'm convinced, Brother Buford, and thank you for the invitation, but I'm convinced as I look out over this congregation that if a congregation meets on a Wednesday night like this and God sees your faithfulness, it isn't going to be long and this place is going to be full and overflowing. Hallelujah. Uh, do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that God is able to do it? Pray over. He takes charge and he makes something beautiful out of nothing. Praise the Lord, don't you? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the wonderful name of the Lord. Well, I tell you, my wife and I have always counted it a privilege in serving the Lord overseas. We never take it for granted. We always think about the, the tremendous people back in North America that have supported us over the years, supported my mom and dad since 1949. And when they went to the mission field the first few times, they went on a ship. And one ship that they were on in the Sea of Japan, a typhoon struck the, the ocean, and uh, they didn't see anything for about 12 days. The captain was the only one who didn't get sick. It wasn't a, a, a tourist ship. It was a freighter. That was the cheapest way to get where you were going. So it would stop in every port till you got to India, in our case. And uh, it was just uh, the beds were sliding from one side to the other for 12 days. It was just like that. And that's how they went to the field. 
I never have one time regretted, and I will say that my love for other countries and for missionaries and for the work of God is because I was raised with parents who never complained about their lot in life. They never complained about where they were at, but somehow they made a go of it And in uh, India today and... Uh, Our general superintendent from the UPC of Northeast India and the secretary were at the conference. In fact, I have been hosting them for the last two or three days. Let me tell you, the churches overseas love the United Pentecostal Church in North America. When, when I took them, and of course, everybody's moving from the old office to the new office right now. And I took them to the old office. They wanted to know everything. They wanted to know how many square feet it was. They wanted to see the buildings. They wanted to talk to every secretary. They wanted every director to give them a message on their video camera. Then they went to the new one, and they were just thrilled with it all. It's a great experience. They're uh, glad to be a part of this great organization, and so am I. Praise the Lord. I just feel like together we can do so much more, and, and conference proved that. Praise God. Now, Africa gave the world its animals. South America has given to the world a mighty river and unconquered jungles. North America has given to the world its financial acumen and power. The Middle East gave to the world its oil. Europe has given to the world its complex culture. The Pacific has given to the world exotic destinations. But Asia has given to the world its population. In my region, and we have broken up Asia and the Pacific. The 21 nations that are in my region of Asia have about 3.7 billion people. Population of China, 1.37 billion, India 1.34 billion. There is actually uh, a time coming in the next few years when India will surpass China as the greatest, uh, the hugest nation on earth population wise. China has always been known as the dragon. India has been known as the elephant. Eight countries in my region have a, pop, a Christian population of less than 1%. There is no country in Asia except for Korea in my part of the region where there is a, popu a Christian population of even more than 10%. Many of our large nations with 100 million plus, they only have 1% or 2% that even profess to be Christian of any kind. When we go to them, we are not working on the basis of a Catholic nation as you might find in Central America or South America. When we go to those nations, they have no concept of sin. They have no concept of God as we understand God manifest in the flesh to come as a redeemer to save man from sin. They do not even believe in the concept of sin, many of them. And uh, it is based on works. It is based on some some events that you will eventually evolve into something else and reincarnate reincarnate into something else. I'm so glad that when we go to those nations and we begin to preach the gospel message, it's amazing the transformation that takes place. Hindus will, will see deliverance in their homes. We've seen many Hindu people who were so full of evil spirits. One time God spoke to my father and said, go to this house. These Hindu people were having a lot of trouble in their home. My father said, if you will dig in the walls of this home, 
you will find some things that need to be taken out of the walls of your house. They were put in your house 400 years ago when this house was built. They began to dig in the walls and there they found charms and bracelets and they found things that people had put curses against that house. When they were removed, those people came in. They found salvation. They were delivered. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They were baptized in Jesus' name. And they had, a, for the first time, a true concept of who Jesus really is. We see this regularly happening in India and Sri Lanka and these nations that worship so many idols. Praise God. I'm just kind of going to talk to you tonight, if that's all right. I, I, I want to share some things. I did have some, some scriptures. But uh, let me just share something with you. First of all, Revelation 3 and 20 says... That behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and will sup with him and he with me. But then the scripture says, I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. He says, I'll tarry, I'll wait at Ephesus until Pentecost, which was the Jewish feast. And then he said, because... A great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. I want you to look at how he wrote that. He didn't say, I'm going to stay here until Pentecost because we got a lot of problems and we got to solve those problems. He said, I'm going to stay here until Pentecost because God has given me an open door. Now, of course, there's going to be problems, but God has given me an open door. If I understand, if I can get it in my mind that there is no obstacle, there is no problem, there is no difficulty, there is no barrier, there is no wall that is so great that my God is not greater and He can break that down and give us an open door. Hallelujah. Now the two scriptures, if you put them together, one says Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. Apparently, the first door is the door of our heart. And there's only one handle, and the painter has depicted that in his picture he painted, where he shows that the door handle's on the inside. Your, handle, your, your hand grasping the handle of that door is the determining factor on what Christ is going to do in your life. You control how much of God is going to happen in your life. And it's because of your hand on the door opening the door that Christ will come in. I don't think it's a, a reticent, quiet, acquiescent Christ who just slowly makes his way in very politely. I think that when you open the door, Christ will rush in. He's going to just come in with all of his glory and power and meet with you. So if I open the door of my heart, then God is going to open doors for me. Hallelujah. He said, I'm going to open doors that no man can shut, and I'm going to shut doors that no man can open. This probably has been the experience of our life on the field. We have been blessed to meet many prime ministers. I've worked actually on boards overseas with, with uh, high-ranking officials in the government. And at the same time, I go down and I work with the poor people in the villages. So there's just a, a, a big mix there. But it is amazing how that God has opened up some doors. A closed door is a Christless life. An open door is filled with fellowship. It's filled with opportunity. And uh, 
this evening I would like to share with you some things about what it means to open up the door of your heart. In Pakistan, uh, my wife and I were in Pakistan for about 15 years, and my brother Alan has been there as a missionary for about 30 years. They just recently moved to the nation of Malaysia. Brother Alan Sham has, uh, he and I got a call one day. We got an invitation to go preach in Pakistan down in the desert. Now, there's about one month out of the year when you can wear a suit there. It's just so hot. And uh, it was about 117 degrees when we left in the morning. We had a big thermos filled with ice water, and it was mostly ice. And by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, that water was as hot as coffee. It was just so hot in the thermos. And uh, we got to the desert. There was no... There was no way you could even see where the paths were. We, when you left the main road and you went into the first village where we were going to have the meeting, from there you couldn't tell where the villagers were all going to come from. They were coming from 18 other villages. And the wind just simply blew the desert sand. Nobody could ride a bicycle or a motorcycle. The sand was so deep. But somehow they knew and they just they came and by 2 o'clock they had started gathering in. I looked at my brother Alan. I said, is there anything cold around here? And of course, when we sat, we just waited for the villagers to keep coming in. Uh, there was, they, they packed under a little tent, uh, and it was about the size of this sanctuary, maybe just a little bit less. They had 450 people uh, jammed in there, so that was a second generator for heat, uh, for sure. We began to uh, start the service. I looked at my little Casio watch I had, which had a thermometer. It was 122 degrees. And I thought, well, this is the warmest one I've been in. And I looked at Alan and I said, what are we going to do? How are we going to have service in this kind of, you know, there's no AC, there's no fan. There wasn't even a fan. And there was no wind blowing. There was one tree and you could hear the leaves cracking on the trees. And I thought, Lord... How are you ever going to do anything out here? Surely the limits of your grace and mercy don't extend this far. And I, I looked at Alan and I said, well, thank the Lord. Look what they're bringing. They had a little generator, a little uh, gasoline generator. And I thought, well, thank the Lord. They're going to hook up some fans and we'll be ready to go. But instead of fans, they hooked up a PA system. And I thought, we don't need a PA system. We need just something to keep us a little bit cooler. And uh, then I began to realize a few things. I realized, first of all, these people live in this all the time. I just came. I descended in on them for about six hours. And then I was going to go back to my house where at least the air conditioner brought the temperature down to 85 in the house. And so I thought, you know, these people live in this. So for them, it doesn't matter about a fan and so they needed the PA, they thought. So that's what they did. So let me ask you a question. What kind of a message do you preach when it's 122 degrees? I'm telling you, folks, I, your mind could probably ramble on to a, a few subjects. But uh, I thought, well, what did they preach in the book of Acts when everything was against them? They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, a very simple message of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if we only preach the burial, then we would be feeling the heat out there in the desert. But we preach 
the burial, and the resurrection. And because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there was power in that meeting out there in the desert. The power of God came there. We do not depend upon all the things to make our our physical senses feel comfortable. We depend upon the presence of God, the power of God, and what will bring that is when you preach the gospel message. And so after 15 minutes and totally drenched in sweat, uh, I gave a little altar call, and some people prayed for a while. Then they had a dinner, and they all went home. But the next morning, I got a telephone call, and the, the pastor, he said, uh, Brother Sham, I want you to know that we have received a message from all of these 18 villages, and uh, I don't know where they found it, but they found water. And because of that one service in the desert, 29 were baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So I begin to realize that even when things are absolutely impossible and we have come to the end of it ourselves, that is only the beginning point for God. Just hold on a little bit longer. Just wait a little bit longer and God is going to break through and God is going to help you and God is going to bless you. Can you say amen? amen? Praise the Lord. I want to thank God for His favor. Now, you all kind of know what this is, I think. This is a passport. And of course, uh, a passport is what your government gives to you that is assigned to any other nation that you are a good citizen and you are free to travel abroad. Now, if you've got criminal records and so forth, you're probably not going to get a passport, but uh, unless you can get those wiped, wiped out. So this passport enables me to be able to travel to other countries, permission from my country. I'm on my 12th passport already. And so uh, it just keeps filling up. I just went to Canada and got another one. But inside, in these pages, the other countries put stickers and stamps and, and uh, photo stickers, and even now they're using holograms to make it more safe. And uh, that is an authorization from that country allowing you to go to that country. And uh, for, for some countries, it's just a breeze. If I go to Thailand, they're happy that I'm coming. I'm a, I'm a tourist. I'm somebody who will be bringing money to their economy. They just stamp the thing and say, uh, welcome to us. And uh, so it's very, very easy in some countries. Other countries, you may have to stand in a, a long line, two hours, and wait. And uh, if you pay a little bit of extra money, you can get it on an urgent basis and maybe get it the same day. But you'll get, you'll get it stamped in your passport. And it's just a procedural thing that takes time. But then there are some visas, which I call miracle visas. And that's why I hang on to my passports, because they are, to me, an indication that God is able to do above what we can ever hope or ask or dream. This year, I had to go to the nation of Pakistan. It is probably our largest nation as far as number of believers. It's also the most radical Muslim country apart from Afghanistan. And we have seen my, my daughter, she, her friends were blown up in bombs, American friends, and we have just been extradited from the country so many times. And uh, CNN came in, interviewed us for four hours. We thought, well, that's, that's just only, they're going to air that when, when they, they run out of stuff to, to 
air, and, uh, but they didn't. They put it on headline news the next day, and Brother Howell was somewhere over in the Philippines, and he thought, my Lord, there's the Shams over there being interviewed in Pakistan about why are missionaries still in Pakistan. He said, I better get them home, so he called us home. But uh, we, we were in Pakistan uh, during many of the troubles. I felt very strongly, I felt in the Holy Ghost that I needed to be in Pakistan this year. But to do that, for anybody to get a visa for Pakistan, you have to go to the Pakistan embassy in your country. So for me, being a Canadian, I had to leave St. Louis, fly up to Ottawa, Canada, and uh, of course it was the middle of February, and uh, I, I applied for a visa. Now I went into the embassy of Pakistan, it was a house, and I had to duck down and go in th into the basement, and it was chaos in there. I mean, nobody was handling anything, and finally, after about an hour, a man came out, and he looked at all my papers. I had about 15 papers of documents that I had to present to show who I was, even though I had lived in that country uh, for many years before. And so this man looked at it, and he said, come back tomorrow. And so I thought, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. Actually, he said, I'll call you tomorrow. But tomorrow came and he didn't call me. And I was concerned because if you are rejected from a nation like Pakistan, you'll probably never, ever get a visa at any time in the future. And I knew we had some serious situations. Let me tell you how serious it is. Our compound where we had our headquarters church and Bible college there was so much antagonism against us and the ministry that we had. The, the inspector general of, uh, of police had 15 police officers with AK-47s roaming the grounds. They knew that foreigners were there and they wanted to make sure they were protected. I guess that's in case the angel of the Lord failed. But uh, we were there and that's the kind of situation that was going to happen. And uh, so the next day, nothing Finally, on the third day, I was going to breakfast with our pastor in Ottawa, Canada. And I got a call from the embassy, and they said, Mr. Mohammed Salim wants to see you. And I thought, Mohammed Salim, he's the high commissioner. He's the top the man. He's the, the, the minister of the, the embassy. And I'm only going for a, a visa, a tourist visa. When I went in there, the demeanor of everybody had changed. And I thought, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult to apply for a visa like this because you're always staring failure and rejection in the face. And you know that if you're rejected, you're rejected. And so I, I was very, very fearful. When I applied, my mouth was dry. I was nervous. I was tense. And when they said, please come in, when I went into the embassy the second time on the third day, they said, Mr. Sham, how are you? Please, come upstairs. Mr. Muhammad Salim wants to see you. They ushered me into a magnificent room upstairs, and they brought me hot tea in a silver teacup. And I thought, when a Pakistani brings you tea, you know that God's given you favor. And so we sat there. I discussed for one hour with him all about Pakistan. When he mentioned a place in northern Pakistan, I mentioned the cities that were around that, that place that he mentioned. He knew that I knew Pakistan, that I loved the Pakistani people. And finally, after he had signed my 
my, and the stamp on my passport right in front of me and handed the passport to me. He said, Mr. Shaw, I want you to know that there is such an ill will against Pakistanis around the world because of what some people are doing. He said, we need people like you to be like goodwill ambassadors for us. If there is any program, if there is anything that is going on in our embassy, I want you to come and attend that. And I thought, I only came here just to get a tourist visa to go to Pakistan. And I almost gave up because there, there's so much stress. It's hard to imagine and count the stress involved in doing some of the simple things that you want to do as a missionary. And the, the easiest thing is just say, oh, it's not going to happen. I'm going to go home. But I stayed there. And I waited patiently, and I didn't interfere with them, and I didn't bother them, but I just waited for an hour, and finally they took my application. Finally they began the process, and I didn't hound them to death. And then they called me. I was respectful to the man, and I even told him, I will be attending church services. He said, that's no problem. He said, I go to the mosque when I come to Canada, so you can go to the church. You can do what you like. And uh, he just wanted me to be an ambassador for them, an unspoken ambassador for that nation. And I thought, how wonderful it is that if you just stick around long enough, God will open the door for you. If you'll open the door of your heart to Him, it's amazing how God will make a way even when there, it seems like there is no way. I don't know what your situation is right now. You may be facing some things and just about ready to let go of something and you feel no hope, you feel no, no sense of confidence or accomplishment. But God is right there. Hallelujah. If you'll put your trust in the Lord, He'll see you through. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Um, I'm really excited about some of the things that are happening. Um, one of the things, Brother Buford, that touched me more than anything, probably, I went to China in 2010 for a special house meeting. We flew to Shanghai, then we flew to another city, then we had a hair-raising three-hour ride. And we went to a village, and the pastor met us. They had a very, they had very humble dwelling, and they put us in a very humble hotel. I think everybody... Everybody in the hotel smoked, and uh, if they weren't smoking, they were looking for a cigarette to smoke. There was ashtrays in my room, my, in the hotel room, that were still full of cigarette butts, and, and it was just, it was an experience. And I thought, well, Lord, I'm beginning to learn something, and that is when, when the picture doesn't look very good, you're just fixing to do something that's really good. So, you know, it, it's, it's just neat how that when you're just feeling horrible, when you're feeling down, when, you, when everything's coming against you and you think, what in earth am I doing in this place anyways? I'd rather be in a crusade somewhere watching people get the Holy Ghost. And here I am stuck in China in this little hotel and I got to sleep in this cigarette-filled room for a whole night and get up and preach tomorrow. Well, how are we going to preach? It's not an open... Uh, country. There are only house meetings, really. And so we were taken out of this city. The pastor met us at about 9.30. We were taken out of the city. Right on the outskirts of the city, there was a little house. It was a, a two-story house. They brought the van right up to the door, slid the door open, and we went upstairs. There were probably two bedrooms, a kitchen, a small living room, and a bathroom. 
and they had little blue-colored plastic uh, stools. The place was already packed. The service wasn't starting till 10 o'clock. The place was packed, and everybody were, was sitting on those plastic stools. They even had this, the plastic stools in the kitchen, in the bathroom, everywhere. And people, the Chinese people, were just sitting there quietly, and they were just kind of moving like this, but tears were running down their face. It was like they were in anticipation of, of a move of God. They were, it was like they were waiting for the train to come in. And uh, I thought the service hasn't even started. They began to sing quietly, and uh, it, it got a little noisy, and so they closed the, the windows. Finally, they closed the curtains, and uh, they worshiped God. The, the pastor's daughter had one of these little keyboards like you'd find in Walmart, and that was the main instrument for the church. Fifty-five people there. That's all they could fit in the place. And uh, they asked Sister uh, O'Donnell, our missionary, to, to bring the word of God first. She spoke about I'd say about 35 minutes. And then they asked Brother O'Donnell to preach. He spoke an hour. These people are sitting on these little plastic blue stools all through the house. And then I found out I was the featured speaker. And so these people had already been sitting through good stuff, but it's a little hard, you know, to sit on those stools like that. And so I preached about 30 minutes. And I'm sure you're hoping that that's what I'm going to be doing tonight. But I tell you what, when it was done, we just gave a very simple altar call because I have never in my whole life, I've been in India, I've been raised in India, I've seen uh, 3,000 ghosts in one service, I've seen a lot of things that are just have blown me out of the water. But I have never experienced the hunger that is there in China for a move of God. People are so hungry. You see, when you can't have it, his name is Jason Rinkin. He is from Colombia. We all know in Colombia you speak Spanish. In fact, I have been to Central America actually just one time, two times, and uh, nobody spoke English. Everybody spoke Spanish. So I learned that from that experience that if I'm going to be a missionary anywhere here in Central America, I better learn Spanish. Well, the same is true of Thailand, Korea, Japan, I walked up to an ATM in Japan, and without thinking, I put my, my ATM card in there, and then I realized, I looked around, there wasn't a word of English anywhere. None of the buttons, none of the screens, none of the writing around, it was all Japanese. And I said, Lord, I put this card in here, but you've got to help me get it out. And somehow I managed to get that ATM card out of that machine. There are countries that do not speak anything but their own indigenous language. And if you're going to reach them with good old-fashioned English, it's going to take a long time, and a lot of people will die and go to hell. Brother Rinkin comes from Colombia. He's a businessman in China. But while he's there, and he's apostolic, he's got a wife who speaks no English, only Spanish, and she's living in China. And they do business, import, export. And they were doing that, but while they were there, God got a hold of their heart, to start a work. So now how do you start a work if Chinese speak Chinese and Colombians speak Spanish? Well, he, he began to work on that a little bit. He could speak English. 
And so he contacted us and we got in touch with him and we began to develop him. We said, you know, you need a minister's license. He went back to Colombia. He got his minister's license with the UPC, came back to China. We are supporting him as a regional missionary. The Asian churches are supporting this Colombian who speaks Spanish in China because he takes four hours a day along with his wife. His daughter's already fluent in Chinese. And they study Chinese Mandarin four hours a day, and they have been doing it. Sometimes, I guess, his wife would just cry because here she's in her own world, a Spanish world, and now she's trying to learn Chinese. His, her husband said, look, honey, you can go back to Columbia. they got a great UPC ladies' conference going on. I'll send you back there. You can go back there and just get a, you know, a tanked up and refilled. And she said, if I go back there... How am I going to reach the people here? There was something that had caused her to open up the door of her heart to do something for Jesus Christ. And she opened up an impossible door. She opened up a door that it was impossible for anything to happen. But because she opened it up, it's amazing how God opened the doors for them. There was a period of time, and I have pictures on my um, iPad here of their work where every Sunday they were baptizing Chinese people in the wonderful name of Jesus. Chinese people receiving the Holy Ghost. It is just absolutely astounding what is happening and God called somebody from Colombia to go to China to get the job done. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? I'm just going to just kind of wrap up by, by mentioning how God has opened up a particular door for us. Never before in the history of the UPC have we ever been able to put together three summits, three large meetings of leaders. It's going to happen next month in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Brother Bernard is going to be there, Brother uh, Howell, Brother Ken Gurley, a lot of our dignitaries, Brother Stan Gleason is involved, Brother Paul Mooney is involved. They may not go, but they have people that will be attending this. What are these summits about? The first summit is a Chinese summit. And since we can't go into China regularly and properly, you know, I'm white, but it doesn't matter in China if I'm white or if I'm African-American or if I'm Hispanic. They look at us and they say, you're not Chinese. And when we go over there, the government, the first thing they look at us and they say, wonder what they're doing here. They may be under the guise of doing business, but I wonder why they're really here. They have a watchdog on everybody. They look at all of our social media. I'm not on social media, and you know why. It's because I have too many sensitive areas overseas. And uh, our, we have a missionary couple right now, precious missionary couple, they have been in intensive study in the interior of China. They are, are learned, they're, they're right from the United States. They, they were appointed as missionaries. They've been there for uh, almost two years now. Just absolutely intense studies in the Chinese language. And I told them, I said, now you can, you got a choice. If you want to go to China and you want to stay on Facebook and you want to stay on social media, then I said, you might just have a real nice short visit to China because everybody's going to know things. So they immediately, they took their name 
they took their face off of everything. He, he had a huge following on, on Twitter, and uh, he, had, uh, he was so involved in social media, they stopped it. It was like cold turkey. They just removed everything. And the reason was, even if they labor with nobody knowing what they're doing, they are in that nation because they opened their heart to God, and they said, Lord, we want to serve you in this nation. And if, and if it means that we cut ourselves off from everything else that's happening and people don't, the, the glowing reports don't trickle out to the outside world. But somehow, Lord, we believe that if we will open up the door of our hearts and you will give us this Mandarin language, we will be able to do a work in this nation. We'll be able to train people. We'll be able to bless people. And so we're doing that. We're bringing people from, uh, ministers from China and we're going to train them in Kuala Lumpur in November. We're having a very special meeting about evangelism, media. We're going to talk about training and literature. Four things that we're going to discuss. Then the next day, we're having a brand new summit. And people from India and from around the world are coming for an Eastern religion summit. And that summit is going to include the four main religions of India, excluding Islam, because we already have a, a summit for Islam. But Hinduism and Jainism and Sikhism and Buddhism, those four religions that, that originated in India, we're bringing in people from around the world who, can, who have been converted from those religions, and they can give testimonies. It's not a study in those religions. It's a study in how to reach the people of those religions. And how beautiful it is. We're going to have converts from Hinduism. They're going to talk about how that they met Jesus Christ. Did you know the assistant superintendent in, in India today? He was a former Hindu priest for the goddess Kali. In the, that is the patron goddess of Calcutta, India. And that city has 20, 25 million people. I have been to the, the uh, temple for the goddess Kali. This Man was a Hindu priest for 19 years uh, to that goddess Kali. But he heard the gospel message and he was converted. And now he is the assistant superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. And one day, just recently, he went to a house to pray for a, a lady who was demon-possessed. And when he began to pray for her, the demon spoke out through that woman and said, You were with us one time. And now we have to leave because we have no power against whoever you are with now. We have to go. We have no power. And the demons left. And he was so excited. And I thought, this is how we are going to convert the Hindus. This is how we're going to convert the Buddhists. It's through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to have the Eastern Religion Summit. And then finally, on the last two days, we're having the India Summit. And this, to me, is exciting. Because there are many, many UPC pastors in North America. Uh, I could name some high-profile people who are involved directly with ministers in India that are not United Pentecostal Church. But they are interested in our apostolic message. And some of them have been following the apostolic truth for a long time, but have not been connected. Just two years ago, we connected with a man out of Paul Mooney's church. He, the, the man in India, his son attends Paul Mooney's church. And that man in India had 200 
and 39 churches and 189 preachers, about 30,000 believers in his group. And just recently we signed an agreement with him that he is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church. There are hundreds of ministers in India that are just starving for fellowship, for truth. They're hungry for something. And we're bringing these ministers to Kuala Lumpur on the third summit, uh, the, the day four and five of, the, of those summits. And we're going to have all of these preachers there and teach them apostolic truth. Brother Bernard is going to be preaching to them. I'm going to facilitate some and coordinate some uh, getting together with our UPC in India. And uh, I believe that we're going to see things that will blow the, the roof off of our expectations. You know, when you just open your heart, when you say, God, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm scared to death about these summits. I'm just terrified. I mean, I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning, and I woke up in sweats, got up, started praying, started seeking the face of God. And I will close with this, I promise. My brother, Alan, he had the assistant superintendent in Pakistan come to him one day and said, Brother Shalom, I had a dream, a vision last night, and I saw thousands of people worshiping God in a big open field, and do you think it's possible we could have a crusade? Well, at that time in Pakistan, crusades were possible, but we had only had 2,000 people attend a crusade. I had preached maybe to 2,500 possibly. So we really hadn't seen anything big, but this man saw thousands and thousands in his vision. So we took it to the general board, we talked about it, and we began to cast vision. For one year, we made preparations for one crusade. It was in the capital city, and I promise you, when the, the time came, my brother Alan was up many mornings at 3 o'clock in the morning, just sweating buckets because he thought, Lord, what if this fails? You know, you're always worried about the, the, the things that could happen. And he was so worried about a, a total failure. And then every, we would be the laughing stock in Pakistan, the United Pentecostal Church. Oh, look, they made such a big promotion. And, but God moved into that place. There was opposition um, against the government running at the same time. All the buses in the country had stopped. But we got a call from the senior superintendent of police. He said, we're going to ensure that every bus that was hired to come to this crusade, we're going to make sure that it gets to that crusade. And uh, government leaders from the prime minister's office were there. First night, we didn't know what kind of a crowd. There was ten to 15,000 sitting there waiting for us when we got there. And uh, the first night, it was a prayer of, of healing and uh, a man uh, of repentance and healing. A man from the back. He comes running to the front, and he was so excited. Now, we don't just give our microphone to anybody, but uh, he, he talked to our superintendent, and then he stood on the stage. He said, folks, I want you to know that two years ago I had a stroke, and I have been totally immobilized. I have not been able to move my hands or my feet. But he said, look what has happened. I was brought on the same bed I've been laying on for two years to this crusade. But look what's happened. And he started to jump. And, of course, you know what that's like. He started to just wave his hands. In a few moments' time, about 300 people rushed to the front. The beautiful thing was that when they opened their heart to get up to the front for healing, the Lord Jesus Christ was already on his way to meet them. Before they got to the front, they were all healed. 
There were people that had never spoken before. One young child had never spoken. We said, say hallelujah. He said, hallelujah. Well, that's a good way to start to learn to talk, isn't it? And so here we go. All of these wonderful things. The second night, we didn't need advertising. 25,000 showed up. The last night, 40,000 showed up. 3,000 received the gift of the Holy Ghost. We used to have one Pakistani man who was our pastor, and everybody make fun of him if he would jump this much at a conference. And now all of a sudden at this crusade, I see 10,000 Pakistanis Holy Ghost filled, and they're all dancing and shouting and praising God. So you see, if you open up the door of your heart just a little bit, it's amazing. You, you can't imagine what God is waiting to do. And so we're, we're excited about bringing these Indians these Chinese and, and these other people from around the world. Um, I, l- let me just say this, that if I was to bring a Chinese pastor to this summit in Kuala Lumpur, I can cover all his expenses for $550. I can bring one pastor from China. I can bring one pastor from India for $550. That will cover all his expenses. And we will have meetings there that we will be able to touch their hearts impart to them apostolic truth, and uh, what a great thing that's going to be. Look, folks, it's been great to be here in the house of the Lord. I I thank you for just letting me share a few things from the Word of God. God is so good, and I'm just wondering what God would do for us if we would just open up our heart. It's amazing. Just take the, put your hand on the handle of your heart, open it up, and watch how God will shut doors that no man can open, but he's going to open doors that no man can shut. Isn't that what you want for this church, for this community? Let's stand together. God is so good. I turn this back to Pastor Buford. Just let the Lord use you. Just open your heart to God.